BP Nation. What is up, guys? We are back on the podcast. And this week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with who I'll call a long-lost mentor, Matt Delavalle, otherwise known as MDV. Now, if you don't know who MDV is, he is the CFO, that is the Chief Fitness Officer of NC Fit out in California with Jason Kalipa and the rest of the team. And I had the privilege of meeting Matt back in 2013 as an intern. I was an intern. He was on staff at Reebok CrossFit One, which was the on-site CrossFit affiliate at Reebok World Headquarters. Now, MDV and the rest of that incredible team at Reebok CrossFit One, which included Austin Maliolo, Denise Thomas, John Main, Megan Burns, Joe Maisley, and others, they were the beginning of my fitness journey. They were the individuals that helped me cultivate the baseline knowledge and skill I needed to then go out and pursue this career of coaching and this profession of coaching. And so I'm incredibly grateful and blessed to have had that experience, to have met MDV in that uh, scenario. And I'm so excited that we got to catch up today and discuss all things related to his journey moving from law school, believe it or not, into the fitness field and how he navigated those decisions and those conversations and those emotions associated with that path. And I think it's a conversation that you're going to be able to get a ton out of that you're going to be able to relate to because we all go through these seasons of life and navigating these tough decisions and these tough conversations. So I really hope you're tuned in, you're ready to rock and roll today. And without further ado, let's get into the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to Ballistic Performance Radio. This is episode number 90, and I am here with a, we'll say, long-lost friend or <laughs> someone that I, a mentor that I once knew uh, back in the day, and his name is Matthew Della Valle, otherwise known as MDV. Uh, MDV, for folks who don't know you, can you just give us a quick spiel of who you are, what you do, and why you do it? Yeah, sure. Derek, thanks for having me. First of all, I got to ask you, dude, because when I'm doing these Zoom podcasts, I always get the little recording signal. So are we recording right now? Are you recording on your end? We're all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate We're that. All good. I appreciate that. Yeah, because yeah. usually when I, I pull the audio through a different software. So oh, good. this is next level. I'm just using Zoom. <laughs> no, no. It's good to see you again, Derek. I'm, I'm stoked to talk to you. Uh, I am the chief fitness officer over at NC Fit. I've been doing that job for about four and a half years now and NC Fit's a global fitness company. We uh, specialize in functional training and we kind of do business in a few different ways, but the main ways that we do it is uh, we have local commercial gyms open to the public in the San Jose Bay area. We have a product called the NC Fit Collective, which we sell a lot of our content, our programming, our session plans, our videos, all of our coaching development tools. We sell that to other gym owners to help them benefit from, from that stuff that we created on our end to improve our own coaching and our own team. And then finally, we have uh, the NC Fit app, which houses all of our workouts, all of our videos, daily programming that you can follow, or you can follow an on-demand track where you watch a video of somebody like me doing a workout and you follow along. And that's a individual subscription through Apple, iTunes, or Google Play. So uh, it's been a whole lot of fun working out in California with uh, the Cali Bear himself, Jason Kalipa. Uh, before doing that, I was back on the East Coast and I was working for Reebok. I was managing the Reebok CrossFit partnership for a while from the corporate side of the equation. And that's kind of uh, the same location that you and I had originally met was uh, Reebok CrossFit One. That's what brought me into Reebok originally. 
Uh, I had gotten an interview there, uh, I think around like some of the years blend together, but I think it's around like 24, 15, 16 ish. Uh, I forget exactly what year, but you know, awesome Aliola, Denise Thomas, uh, you were on staff there as an intern at the time and uh, had an awesome opportunity to come on in and, and coach for Reebok as a full-time trainer. Um, and then kind of even before that, I was doing some other stuff, uh, working with Ben Bergeron at CrossFit New England and in a whole other life, uh, I was an attorney uh, working in New York, doing something completely different from fitness. Uh, but fitness has always been a big part of my life. So that's kind of the elevator speech of who I am, where I am now and uh, what I do. Yeah, awesome. When you rattle all that off, it's like, holy shit, this guy's been been around the block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time, man. It's been since, uh, so I did my first CrossFit workout in 2006. I got my level one in 2008. And I actually started interning at a gym between 2006, 2008, like uh, mopping floors, sweeping up, uh, kind of shadowing classes and helping them out at, at this gym called CrossFit The Rock in, uh, in Rockville Center, New York on the South Shore of Long Island. And I was super fortunate to find that opportunity. I was just training in a local gym one day and I was wearing a CrossFit t-shirt because, uh, you know, I had done my first CrossFit workout. So obviously I had to go to the store, uh, the CrossFit store store and buy a CrossFit t-shirt. And it was a t-shirt that said, smoke you like cheap crack. And, uh, <laughs> that was like one of the original OGTs. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, you do CrossFit. And I was like, well, yeah, I do CrossFit. I'm not doing CrossFit right now. I'm just squatting right now. I'm just kind of like doing some like normal stuff, but he's like, why don't you come with me and we'll go do a workout together sounds kind of creepy, but, uh, that's ended actually ended up what kind of propelled me into this whole, uh, CrossFit career thing. So yeah, yeah, it was the start of it all. That's awesome. And, uh, with your years blending together, I can clarify it for you there. Cause that was like the beginning of my career. So I remember a little bit more, but that was actually, what year was that? you went, you came to Reebok, I think either just before, or just after I did, but that was in 2013. Oh God. Wow. Yeah, getting old. A lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but close. You're in the ballpark, right? Yeah. And uh, so you're you're just describing that was 2006. You said when that. So 2006, that... I did my first workout, and then somewhere in like the 2006 2007 range, I met Carlo Mattia, who's the owner of CrossFit The Rock, and he was the guy who was like, "Why don't you come with me and let's do a workout?" Mm -hmm. I ended up <clears throat> interning at that gym, and then uh, I was in law school this whole time uh, while this was just going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 2008 went and got my level one and then, uh, I graduated law school 2009. Gotcha. Okay. That was going to be my question is where, where did law school come into, into this situation there? And so you yeah. actually found CrossFit during law school, got involved. And then when you graduated yep. law school, do you want to describe that kind of situation there a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, this is another really interesting uh, story. This guy, um, so what, the first day that I went to law, not the very first day, but like the first week of law school, I was in the weight room and I was training and this guy, Sam, came up to me and Sam en ended up becoming a really good friend. He, he looked at me, he's like, hey, you're, you're pretty fit. I'm, a, I'm about to do this CrossFit workout. Do you want to do it with me? And I was like, what the fuck is CrossFit, dude? Like, I never heard of this stuff. And he was like, well, it's 100 pull-ups, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats. So it was Angie. Uh, and we did it in the Globo gym at, at uh, the university where I was going to law school. Uh, and it was the most classic, like first CrossFit workout ever, like doing pull-ups on the shared dip thing, mm -hmm. doing my sit-ups on my, on a BOSU ball, doing my other, my squats down to the same BOSU ball. It was like ridiculous. I, if anybody had video of it, I hope they kill it with fire. But, um, <laughs> on the other end of law school in 2009, um, 
the way law school works is your first year really matters a whole lot. Um, you have to, you have to do really well if you want to get a, a really big prestigious job, your grades matter a lot. And I was fortunate to do really well my first year of law school. Um, I got all the job interviews that I could have wanted and I got to choose which firm I was going to go to. And I chose this really nice prestigious firm in, in New York. Um, and then as I was going through my second year of law school in 2008, you start to go like, oh shit, like there's some weird stuff going on right now with the economy. Like it's starting to look pretty bad. And uh, it, it got real bad. Uh, obviously uh, we had a, a, a full economic collapse in 2008, 2009. And it actually ended up impacting the class of 2009 more than it impacted the class of 2008 or the class of 2010. So I was this like singular category of law student. The class of 2009 is kind of like the lost class that our firms came to us and said, uh, a lot of us, we don't have jobs for you. Um, and they, you know, gave us a little pittance worth of money and told us to go and, you know, spread our wings elsewhere. Uh, unfortunately, that fucked over a lot of people because you do all of your interviewing for law school super early on. So you commit yourself very, very early and all the other firms go, all right, you're committed. Don't need to waste time or money and energy on you. The other thing is that in 2009, all these fucking attorneys are out of work and everybody has more experience. They're willing to take less money. You know, you graduate from law school, you don't really know what the, the hell you're doing. Uh, so the firm needs to invest a lot of time and energy and resources into training you up. So you, I, there were some people in that 2009 category uh, that became quote unquote untouchable and you had to work really, really, really damn hard to find other legal opportunities. Um, I ended up finding a job uh, with a law firm, a small law firm uh, on Long Island. And uh, at the same time, I was parallel pathing this idea of uh, going and taking fitness and really running with it. Yeah. And the reason I, br I bring that up is because a lot of folks who listen to our podcast, they're not mm. coaches, you know, they're not in the fitness industry. It's mainly, you know, who you and I work with on a daily basis, like right when you're in the gym coaching. Great. And, I love that. And so and I think I've been through this myself, when you get to these moments in your life where like shit hits the fan or you've got a huge decision to make and you really, you have to sit and battle with these things. I think everyone goes through that in some way or another. And to be able to hear stories and share about that, I think helps people navigate the next one. And so when you were in that situation, you got that position at the local law firm when did it come into your mind like okay you know what maybe i need to step away from law and move in a different direction and and what were some thoughts and concerns surrounding that decision if you made it yeah no this is a super interesting topic and a great question because the second my law firm called me up and told me that my job was going to be impacted the the big firm uh, in new york i mean we're talking about a firm that was in 30 rockefeller right like this is if I could have painted a picture of what my ideal career would have been like, it, it would have been this. I'm working for this kind of prestigious firm with this badass reputation. They're paying me 200K a year, uh, you know, right off the bat, power suit, power steering, power tie. Like, oh, I'm going to be like a big shit fucking lawyer. That evaporated as quickly as you could have imagined, right? And the, fir the first phone call that I got from them, I was like, this is so shady. They're essentially telling me that they're going to uh, push me down the line, which feels really, really awkward. 
and that, um, you know, I should start exploring other opportunities. And at that point, I was like, you know what, if the if the industry is going to treat me like this, like a commodity on the way in, like, I don't matter. I'm just a number. I'm just a dollar assigned to this, to this company. What, how are they going to treat me as I go through it? And, and, you know, am I going to become that? So I, uh, I looked at everything that I was really uh, passionate about everything that I had out in front of me. And I said, I, I think I have an opportunity here to, to really do this fitness thing well and to bring a, a, a different perspective to it. You know, the perspective of not only being somebody who was lifelong invested in fitness and training and the things that I had done prior. And, um, but also like coming from a more analytical background, coming, being a, being a lawyer, a trained lawyer, and then going into this field, I, I felt that that might give me a leg up in at least getting conversations with people or figuring out some opportunities. So I started to look at companies like, again, Faster Equipment, which was a Boston-based startup company, Rogue Fitness, CrossFit HQ. I was talking to a lot of those people early on, and I ended up getting a director of operations role with, again, Faster. And that's what brought me from New York up to Boston originally. And almost immediately when I uh, made it to Boston, I met Ben Bergeron like the first day. And he and I became really fast friends. And he's the uh, obviously the owner and the founder of CrossFit New England and the CEO and mastermind behind Comp Train. Uh, and that didn't really exist just then in, in 2009 when I moved there. But uh, undoubtedly, Ben was a major uh, influential figure in my development. Yeah, absolutely. And when you started looking and pursuing the opportunities within fitness, you had mentioned, again, faster, Rogue, CrossFit HQ, more of like the corporate side almost like yeah. running parallel to the coaching industry yeah did you pursue that side first because you thought it was more realistic in terms of making a career like financially and just stability or did you kind of think with your skill set from law school that was a better fit for you at the time uh, oh good another good, good question um a little bit of both um yeah i was already i was coaching already so i was developing some of those skills and i was doing it supplementary to um my main source of income, which was, I was working at that uh, small corporate law firm in New York. So as I was interviewing, I wasn't, I wasn't really out there going like, oh, where can I take coaching and make that my primary focus and move into a coaching role or organization? I was like, I'm, I'm kind of already working on coaching right now uh, as much as I, I, I want to at this point in my life. What I want to do right now is I want to see if there's an, any other opportunities out there that allow me to get a foothold in this industry. And I can continue to coach and continue to refine those skills. I had only been coaching for like two or three years at that time. So like I, I knew nothing, you know, I, I, like uh, two or three years into coaching, you know, you don't know fucking shit. So I, I didn't want to like put all my eggs into that basket. I wanted to continue to get better there, but I had all this other skill and this pedigree from law school that I thought could be valuable to these companies. And it turned out, you know, I, I did talk to the people at, at Rogue a little bit, but then again, Faster was the, the opportunity that was put in front of me and um, I decided to, to jump on it. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I love the answer to that question. I think that's uh, something, I love what you said in that explanation of, I was only two to three years into coaching, so I didn't know shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> because dude, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people, and myself included, when I was starting off as a coach, like, you think as you're gaining this experience, whether it's six months, a year, two, three years, that you're like, okay, I've, I've learned a good amount of stuff. Like I, th I think I've got my feet underneath me and it's just there's so much more out in front of you and there's so much more to learn and the learning never yeah. stops to where 
you know, even at two to three years in, you might have to take a position that you feel is beneath you, or you might have to swallow your ego and say, you know what, I need to go spend time under this person because they're who I'm aspiring to be. Yeah. Then that, that's a really difficult thing to do, man. Um, you know, it, it involves a humongous check of your ego, um, against, uh, probably all of your, um, uh, natural instincts, right? Because, you know, in the CrossFit space or functional training space, I think it's really interesting. You, as coaches, you have this awesome opportunity, this really, really unique opportunity to develop strong personal relationships with uh, athletes. And you get to walk into a gym every single day and be the best part of the athlete's day and to be the number one fitness and health influencer in that person's life, hands down. You know, if you compare a coach to what uh, an athlete spends with their doctor, uh, you go to the doctor two times a year, you spend 15, 20 minutes with them each time in total, maybe you're with your doctor on a high end 90 minutes a year. You might be with your coach 90 minutes a day sometimes, right? Like you, uh, an hour a day, three times a week already that blows it out of the water. So like you do have this great uh, opportunity to build relationships, to be in front of people, to have a hell of a lot of fun. And it becomes intoxicating and you can very quickly get comfortable in that role in that space. And then after two or three years, you look around, you go like, well, I'm the king shit here because like I'm the number one coach in this gym and I know all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. That's not really like, you don't really, at least in my opinion, know uh, a tremendous amount at that point. You might you might have some real great natural skills. You might be good at building relationships. You, you might even be a, a fairly talented trainer and you've done a really good job of studying and preparing and, you know, mastering the fundamentals. But like, you also don't know what you don't know. And there's so much that can be discovered in this whole coaching journey, just through like an insane amount of repetition or watching other people or seeing what other people are doing. And if you're constantly just in your own silo, you're not really getting that exposure. So you know, yeah, you might be uh, considered a good coach at the, the gym that you're at, but let, let me take you out of that and let me put you in front of, you know, 20 or 30 participants at a, a seminar or in another gym or another location or another setup and let, let's see how you fare. Like it, it just is, um, it takes time to, to, to really understand who you are as a coach and to understand all the dynamics of uh, coaching a class or the relationships with different types of athletes. And then how do you take all that together? The technical side of coaching, which is, uh, you know, very, very deep and voluminous, you know, there's a tremendous amount that you can go and learn not only about functional training, but about anatomy, physiology, weightlifting, Olympic lifting, all that kind of stuff. And then you take the very deep relationship side of things and how to interact with athletes. And, you know, what does that mean from a personal perspective on, uh, you know, empathy and caring and all that kind of stuff. So it's a journey for sure, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And I think ex what you just said, unfortunately happens quite a bit, at least in the experiences of I've had over the last 10 years is you do see coaches get siloed. You do see coaches end up in their gym in their town, you know, with their one or two other part-time coaches. And they're, like you said, they're the, the shit at that gym. They're the head and the face of that gym yeah. And they're the the head coach, the manager, you know, fill in X, Y, and Z other titles. And then you aren't exposed to people who are better than you, people who are going to promote growth and force you to learn and put you in situations that do make you uncomfortable, but ultimately make you adapt and become a better coach. And I mean, yeah, I just think that unfortunately happens quite a bit in the industry. And so it really is about being willing to 
branch out and break away from that and find people who inspire you, who are better than you and say, Hey, I'll come work for you for free or I'll come shadow you for a weekend or whatever it may be, but expose yourself to that. Yeah. I, I think that's hugely important, you know, especially if you're somebody who's interested in, you know, uh, growth, not, not necessarily like, uh, growth in the sense of, Oh, I want to like move my career in this direction. They could certainly could be considered that, but if you want to grow as a, as a coach, as an individual, as a person, exposing yourself to different perspectives and point of views is, is really, really important. I also don't want to like, I don't want to shit mouth the, the person who is in, in that role in their gym. And like, that's the thing that they love to do. And it's the, the most precious and valuable expression of their, uh, uh their time. That, that, that's, that's fine as well. If like, if, if you want to coach every single day at a small local gym or a local gym, and like you want to be that person who's walking in and, and having those really deep and intimate relationships, I, that, I think that that's beautiful. That's awesome. The part that can get a little bit scary for me because I have had so many conversations with coaches about this is the fact that like a lot, sometimes you have somebody who's doing that, but then they go, Oh, but I like, you know, I'm really upset that I'm not making uh, more money or like, I don't have other opportunities or I want to do this full time, but I can't, or like, I'm only making 20 bucks an hour and I'm 27, 28 years old. I'm like, well, now let's start to think about how comfortable you might be in this role. Like, I know that you really love walking into the gym every single day and coaching two or three classes. And then you get to work out for three or four hours. And then, you know, you go, you eat lunch out of Tupperware and you go home, you do your meal prep and you go to bed, you wake up, you do it again. Like, yeah, that's great. But like, if you're not happy with what that's putting into re reinvesting back into you, you might be perfectly happy and your athletes might be perfectly happy with what you're investing into them. But at the end of the day, like you also have to be thinking about where is this going to take me? Um, You know, am I being responsible about the uh, relationships and the commitments that I have? Am I making enough money to support myself? And if you're not happy with those things, maybe you have to look at the equation, go, have I gotten a little too comfortable with this kind of life that I'm living right now? Do I have to take a step back and look at what can I do to, you know, propel myself forward? Are there people or things out there that I need to be listening to or watching in order to grow? That's where I get more tripped up. If somebody's, you know, uh, they got a second job or they're independently wealthy or like they are just perfectly fine with living a very, very like simple and modest life. And they know how to budget and they're going to save all their money. And like, they're happy with the hourly wage that they're making and you know, all that kind of good stuff, more power to you. The scary part for me is when I talk to a lot of these coaches and they go, I, I feel trapped. I don't know what to do. I have no opportunities. I'm not making any money. And I'm like, well, what have you been doing? I'm like for the past seven years, I've just been, coaching two classes a day and working out for three hours. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> let's, let's, we got to talk, we got to fix that. We got to talk about that. Like anyway, so I know this is a little tangential, but. Uh, no, I think it's, I think it's good. I think everything there had some, some value to it as well. So, and I think it can be applied to life outside of coaching, right? Like whatever career you're in, you can get into those situations. And so oh, you can certainly get comfortable. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now going back to your shift over into fitness when you made that decision and you pursued that opportunity with again faster i'm assuming there were probably reactions emotions from the people around you whether it was friends family other you know uh say mentors within the law industry 
you know, how did you navigate those conversations? Because I'm assuming somebody said something to you. Multiple people uh, probably said something, right? Because yeah. anytime someone makes a jump like that, there's going to be reactions. Yeah. I, I wish I could look back and say, say to you, Derek, that I handled all the conversations really well, but I didn't. Um, it was a really emotional time. Uh, you know, in particular, I remember being emotional in talking to um, the hiring um, uh, the hiring manager at the law firm. And I remember being like, uh, I was pissed. I, I was, I was asking them like, how the, how the hell did you guys make this decision? How, how did you look at people who were in this program together and you had people who were top performers and recognized for being top performers. And then you had people who might not have been right. And I was in the group that was a top performer. I was like, how did I not make this cut for you guys? And she goes to me, well, the um, the area of law that you wanted to focus in right now really isn't uh, doing so well for us. So we just decided to make a clear cut based on what your preference for practice was. And mm -hmm. I lost it. I went like my, uh, my, my mind, my brain melted out of my ears because the logic behind that was so fucking stupid. Like you have these people who have just graduated law school who nobody knows what they want to do. Nobody, nobody knows you know, which area they're going to really excel in. Like the, you, you just kind of gave them a summer's exposure to some of these different types of experiences. You know, the best way to make that decision, probably more about the merits of their performance over the, across the board or like who they are as individuals. And, you know, maybe she was just feeding me a line of bullshit because maybe she didn't like me, but um, uh, I kind of uh, didn't handle that conversation very well at all. But, you know, in, in terms of like friends and family and stuff like that, when I um, when I first told my parents that I was considering walking away from law and going to go and pursue this fitness thing, they were concerned. Um, and that concern lasted for a long time. And I, I don't think it was like they were concerned because they didn't love me or they didn't support me. I think it was probably a bit of the opposite. They were they were just concerned that like you just spent all this time and money and resources in, you know, uh, getting and earning this degree. And, you know, they wanted me to, to be successful. They wanted me to, to thrive. And I think that they looked at this as a departure, a pretty stark departure from pursuing that type of career. Um, so, you know, I had to have a lot of really tough conversations with my parents over the years. Um, a lot of people uh, asking me, you know, they'll take a look at my resume. They'll be like, like, what? Like, you look, you did all this and like, this is what you do now. I'm like, yeah, this is what I do now. Like, um, so, you know, you have to, you have to handle those things in stride. Um, you know, hindsight 2020, I think I could have handled them a, a, a bit better. Um, definitely got, uh, emotional, you know, not only with the hiring manager, but with my parents and friends. Um, and, uh, I, I do a bit of a better job now. It's also been God, 11 12 years since I made that switch. Um, so it's, uh, I've kind of put enough road between me and the decision now where not a lot of people ask me anymore if I'm ever going to be a lawyer again, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. No. Yeah. I love that. And I love the, like the transparency and the, the honesty of that answer, because I think that those reactions and those conversations are what hold a lot of people back from making the jump and making the switch and or just stifle them to the point where maybe they already made that decision, but dealing with that, those conversations and those emotions on a daily basis is a real struggle for them. I mean, I know when we left our jobs and started the business, I think everybody thought it was kind of like a joke. 
at first. Yeah. I think people were like, what are you talking about? You're going to start your own business. How are, how are you guys going to make that work? How are you going to make money? And that's something that I think a lot of people can relate to. And that is really difficult to navigate. And it is one of those things where you do, like you said, have to take it in stride and try your best to handle it with some level of like grace and maturity, even though you do want to get pissed off and just be like, Hey, this is, this is what I'm fucking doing. Yeah. It's uh, there's a bunch of factors in there, Derek. This is a really interesting conversation because like, you know, uh, being in fitness is kind of a non-traditional career, right? So like my parents were really enamored with the idea that I was going to be uh, either a top lawyer at this big firm or like my dad had this dream that I would eventually, you know, walk away and then be like some sort of circuit court judge and then Supreme Court judge or like whatever, right? Like that was what he wanted for me. Being in fitness didn't offer that kind of trajectory or path. It was uh, uncertain, you know, or unclear how I was going to navigate this space. The, the other thing is that even if you go, okay, I accept fitness as a non-traditional profession, but a profession nonetheless, there is a really, I don't want to say misunderstood perspective about fitness, but the, you know, it, a lot of people will look at somebody who calls himself a fitness professional and be like, well, you just actually like working out all day. Like you like hanging out in the gym. You like being a gym rat. You like doing uh, fitness and, and, you know, looking a certain way. And I, I think to some, there is some validity to that. Obviously I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't really enjoy uh, the transformations that are possible through fitness, not only physical, but emotional and social. And, um, but uh, being a fitness professional certainly has uh, a weird ring to it for a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people take it seriously. And I also don't think a lot of people who are in the fitness profession and call themselves fitness professionals take it seriously enough. And I'm not saying that everybody has to, um, you know, have no fun and you have to like, you know, uh, dress in a three piece fitness suit. And, you know, the only, you have to be completely proper at all at all times and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there's a level of professionalism that I think everybody who is in the industry and in the space, we would all benefit from stepping that up one or two rungs on the ladder and not only to improve the public perception, but let's even forget about that, but just improve the overall e economics or the overall um, uh, industry for, for ourselves. You know, if, if I have a coach who's, uh, doing this for five, seven years or whatever. And he's over here and he's coaching in dirty sweatpants and flip-flops and eating during class and, you know, uh, on his phone the whole time or doing whatever unprofessional shit during class. And then I'm over here with the same level of experience. I'm like, people are looking at us like we're the same. And, you know, this guy over here, the people who he's impacting on a daily basis, they're all going to go home and go like, well, yeah, my coach does X, X and X and X and X. And then that kind of pervades, becomes a, a prevailing kind of characteristics of what those people think might coaches might be doing and saying across the entire board. Like, you know, there's certain standards that doctors or lawyers or uh, other types of professionals hold. And, you know, they definitely try to keep a certain level of professionalism across the board, um, you know, and there's certain organizations within those uh types of professions that try to uphold that so that the economics continue to work for these people in the right way so that the perception and all the training continues to go in the right direction that doesn't exist in fitness you got some people over here who are you know eating chicken and broccoli while they're coaching people through a workout and then you have some other people who are trying to really do this really well and have a hell of a lot of fun but be professionals 
it, it's a little disjointed in that sense. So, um, you know, being a fitness professional has a weird ring to it. I would love if across the board, we could elevate the professionalism of what we do to continue to uh, all be moving in the right direction. Um, and that's a lot of like the work that I try to do right now or the message that I bring to the space. So, yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think it's something that I was, I think about all the time because I was really, really <clears throat> blessed and fortunate to step into an internship at Reebok CrossFit One. For sure. That I was immediately surrounded by folks who took it as a profession, who took it extremely seriously. You know, yourself, Austin, Denise, uh, Spencer Hendel was there, John Main, Megan Burns. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was surrounded by seminar staff members who were teaching me, hey, this is this is a career, like this is a profession. You look a certain way, you, like you talk a certain way, act like there were standards, you know, mm -hmm. and I am so f thankful to have had that because it just put me on this trajectory that allowed me to earn additional opportunities, which kind of gets into what I've heard you discuss on other podcasts is outworking the position that you're in, right? <laughs> working as hard as fucking possible where you're at and doing the things that no one else are willing to do. And that concept, I think, is how I've achieved every position that I achieved when I wasn't working for myself. Yeah. And so, you know, for you, how has that impacted your career? Was that a mentality you went into it with? Or did you start to develop that when you saw the industry and thought, okay, there's one group of people over here that are coaching in sweatpants, eating grilled chicken and broccoli and just having a good time. And then there's people over here and that's where I want to be. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I, I, I kind of, I put myself in the same boat at Reebok Cross one as you put yourself in it. I was incredibly blessed to have been around, uh, all of those people and people like yourself there. I mean, like I was super impressed by how hard you worked and how often you would throw your hand up to, to do or to volunteer or to just be involved. And, um, you know, not everybody who was in either the coaching role or the intern position show that same level of commitment and uh, buy-in. So um, I would, I feel really fortunate to have worked alongside you. Um, you know, in terms of like, uh, I, I guess grit or uh, hard work uh, or like that attitude of just like, I'm going to get after this right now. Uh, you know, I think it really started for me towards the end of high school and in the beginning of college, you know, um, I, I probably developed most of it through my parents. Um, I've talked about my parents a little bit on some other podcasts. My dad is the absolute hardest worker that I've ever known in my life. I mean, he spent uh, 30 or 40 years of his life, life working in uh, like companies like Lockheed Martin and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when he came home from work, he would change into his work clothes and would work nonstop. I'm talking like get home from work at like five or six o'clock at night, get in his work clothes and like go and like, tinker and work down the basement or like start fixing some shit on the weekends. It was nonstop work for the guy. Like he would relax sometimes, but like he just loved to work and get his hands dirty and like be involved in projects. And I, it used to bother me when I was like in high school and stuff, because I'd be like, Oh man, like I gotta be this guy's slave for the weekend here. All my friends are doing this other shit, but it actually taught me a lot of really valuable lessons in hindsight. My mom is also somebody who uh, motivated me. Uh, and this is another one where I look back on it and go like, uh, at the time it pissed me off, but now I can see that there was a lot of value to it. She was somebody who was like, 
you know what, hey, you did really well uh, in high school. You got like a 93 average or whatever. Why didn't you have a 96 or a 97? Like, and when I went to college, you know, I got a 393 or something like my first year. And she was like, well, why'd you get that A minus? Like you could have had a four row. And at the time I was like, well, Jesus woman, like, can't you just be happy? Like I got this like amazing, uh, earn these amazing grades, but you know, she was just trying to, to push me to my full potential. So, you know, I think the, aside from my parents, the job that molded me into this kind of, uh, I, I'm going to get after it, hard worker type of attitude is I was an ocean lifeguard for, uh, for eight summers. And, um, that job I took really seriously, still had a hell of a lot of fun, but I took it really seriously because, you know, I looked at that job as being um, a job that had life or death consequences. And, you know, regardless of what your perception is of ocean lifeguards, if you're working a beach that does have an opportunity to have some sticky, some scary situations like I did uh, in like the Point Lookout, Long Beach, uh, Long Island, Jones Beach area, you have to be on your shit. You have to be well-trained. You have to know how to navigate those situations, like not only physically, but emotionally and um, socially with the people that you're working with on your crew. It can get really bad really fast. And if you don't know how to handle pressure or if you don't, you can't perform under pressure, you're screwed. So I always try to train my ass off. Like I wanted to be in the best physical shape. I wanted to have the best skills in the water. I wanted to be the best on the worst days. Like, um, you know, a lot of, there were a lot of days that it was just chill on the beach and everybody would just relax and the water's calm and the people are having fun. Be like, well, today's a great day for us to train and drill because we don't have to worry about, you know, that many people drowning. Yeah, obviously let's keep the eyes on the water make sure nothing gets fucked up. But like, let's like work our asses off because on the days when it was going nuts and you sat with somebody who was emotionally or physically unprepared to handle that situation, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. I remember being a younger lifeguard and sitting with this, uh, this older guard and, um, you know, it was a really bad day. And we had people who were in some really serious shit in the water and I'm sitting there and she's watching them. And I'm like, I asked her, I was like, we, we need to go and save those people. Like th those people are going to be in a very bad situation in about 30 seconds if we don't go and get them. And she was like, well, I don't, and she just froze completely froze. I'll never forget it. And I was like, I'm going to go. And, you know, I, I went and then somebody else hopped up on the stand and relieved her. Um, but it, that job taught me so much about personal responsibility, making sure your skills are refined, make sure your physical training's on point. Um, and, uh, I kind of have lost my way around this question, but that's <laughs> really where I started to develop a lot of that attitude. And then I transferred that over into the other stuff that I did. Like I always wanted to be a top performer in uh, obviously college and law school and all that stuff. And then when I took my, uh, all that stuff into the fitness space, I was like, well, why wouldn't I want to be um, working the hardest and trying to create all these opportunities for myself? Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. And I, th I think that was the exact answer to the question, even though we, we took the, maybe we took the long way around the bar. The long there. way. But, yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate that. And uh, alongside that, I, at least I've run into this and I think I've, I believe I've heard you discuss this as well is by working that hard and by trying to be the top performer and trying to outwork the position you're in or just doing the things that nobody else is willing to do. I've always preached that that's how opportunities present themselves, right? Like if I, I'm yeah. going to work hard enough that an opportunity will present itself to me and then I'll pursue that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Now I, 
I'm a perfect example. I probably coached at, you know, eight or 10 different (laughs) affiliates and gyms and university settings over the last 10 years Mm. because I just took the next opportunity that came every time Yeah. because it was always a stepping stone in the right direction. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew that that was a step forward. And some people I think would look at my resume and say, well, what the hell? You've never been anywhere longer than a year. Like why, why is that? Mm. And looking at it as almost a negative, do you think, have you ever considered that when you were taking all these different opportunities? Yeah, that's, um, that's a, another good observation, Derek. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think it's generally understood in the space that we play in that a lot of these, um, opportunities are, uh, progressive or are stepping stones. So like, you know, if you're talking to people who are inside the space and you, they look at your resume and they go, well, hey, you started a small gym and then you went to this gym that had a couple of locations and then you got promoted as a head coach and you had an opportunity to go over here as a, you know, uh, director of training or whatever. Then, hey, you got an opportunity at Reebok and then from Reebok and went to whatever. I think a lot of people who know about the space would look at that and go, well, that was kind of an, a natural progression for somebody who was interested in growing and developing um, in fitness. The other thing is that a lot of these businesses don't have um, like a traditional growth path associated with them. So you do, in some senses, need to be looking out for yourself and, and capturing opportunities that come across your plate because you don't typically roll into a mature organization like NC Fit where we are now in 2021 that has oh, hey, we have an intern process, and then you become a part-time coach, and there's a full-time path, and then you have the opportunity to become a head coach, and then there's a director of training role, and then there's this, you know, the uh, CFO role. Like, it, it doesn't work like that in a lot of these more startup and smaller gyms. It's usually just, well, we have this kind of uh, hourly type of structure, and these are your rates. And if you're lucky, maybe there's a full-time opportunity in some of those places, but for the most part, generally, no. So, you know, in, in that regard too, I don't think that it's necessarily a negative that, you know, you might move around a little bit and try to like find where that next role or opportunity is. I have had people go, you've moved around a lot. You know, uh, I actually was talking to Dr. Sean Pastuch on his podcast recently. And he was like, if I were to look at your resume, I would say that, you know, maybe you might've been non-committal. And if I'm 100% honest with you, I mean, 100% honest with you, there are definitely times that I was working for some of these organizations where I was not focusing on the present in front of me. I was not focusing on trying to be the best that I could. And I was more so focusing on what's next. I wouldn't change anything about my journey because I learned so much even through that thought process. But it typically doesn't work well for the individual or for the people who you're in front of or the business at that time if you're not if you're focusing on the future if you're focusing too much on what's next or if you're focusing on the past if you're somebody who's not living in the present who's not really diving into what you're doing and giving everything you can to the people the organization the craft the job you might miss more opportunities than um, you're going to uh, find by having that kind of forward look I'm not saying don't be aware of opportunities. I'm not saying don't be aware that there could be something coming for you down the road, but you almost have to do it where like, let's say you're swimming and when you're swimming, you got your head in the water and you're kind of like on target with the buoy, right? The buoy is the thing that's floating in the water that you're swimming towards. You're going to try to stay on that path and you're going to like continue to go towards that buoy. But every once in a while you might stop. And you might pull your head up and you might look around. You just want to make sure, hey, there's 
maybe there's no boats coming. Hey, there is a boat coming that wants to pick me up and I'm going to get on that boat or whatever. Like that, that analogy to me makes sense where you want to be very invested in what you're doing. And every once in a while, kind of take your eyes up out of the water and look around and see what's up and be open to other opportunities, but not so much that you're just treading water in space and constantly looking around and never making any progress uh, forward towards that buoy or never helping the organization you're currently in because you're always one foot out the door. Um, I definitely had had thoughts or feelings about that at different times. And I definitely felt the pressure of my law school debt or the things that I had done in the past uh, in law school that were like, uh, loomed over me and moments of self-doubt or, um, uh, you know, am I making the right decision? Should I be doing something else? I have to go and think about uh, joining this organization right now. So it wasn't always just um, a pure work hard and I'm going to succeed and the opportunities will come, come to me type of situation. I try to do that as much as possible, but I also realized that I definitely uh, learned a lot of lessons through the process. Yeah, absolutely. I love that answer. And I love that analogy. I'm definitely going to steal that one of these times like that. Uh, so I think this translates into the next topic pretty well mm. of you've been a part of a lot of what, if you're in the industry, would be considered great organizations, right? From CrossFit yeah. New England, Reebok CrossFit One, seminar staff there for a while for, for CrossFit, uh, NC Fit now, obviously. Yeah. Through all those experiences how has your unique belief in fitness changed over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years? Cause I'm sure yeah. at least every organization I've been a part of has a little tweak here and there or has a completely separate belief. And those influence you in some way because you learn from those different concepts and methods. And so where are you at right now and how has it evolved over the last 15 years? Yeah. Uh, I'm really enjoying these questions. Uh, these are fantastic. Um, I think early on, <sighs> I had a very fundamental approach to fitness. Um, I was very deeply entrenched in the CrossFit doctrine, very deeply. Um, and I believed it to be tried and true and almost unchallengeable um, in a way that this was, I didn't, I don't know if I ever said overtly that this is the only way that you should get fit, but I certainly prioritized it above others and looked at it as being the superior to other types of fitness. And, you know, we have the cure and we have the answer and this is, this is the way. And yeah, there's some other ways, but you know, like that kind of stuff's bullshit over here, but like, this is the real good stuff, right? Like, I think that that was something that um, it was partial, partially due to the impact that that training methodology had on me uh, partly due to the people that I was around. It was constantly in this echo chamber of, oh, CrossFit's the best, CrossFit's the best, CrossFit's the best. And then you, uh, if you're lucky to work on the CrossFit seminar staff or you've earned the opportunity to work on CrossFit seminar staff, you then dive into the doctrines even uh, more deeply and you get to see the amazing impact that it has on the participants and you become intoxicated by uh, uh, just the whole kind of uh, doctrine of, of CrossFit. I still think CrossFit's a fantastic way to get fit. Listen, I, it, it changed my life in a lot of ways. It helped me um, grow physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. I got to meet a whole lot of people, provided me with awesome opportunities. But uh, I do not think that it is the only way that you can get fit, nor do I think that it is a perfect system, nor do I think that you have to do 
all of your workouts for time or for a score, or nor do I think that intensity is the uh, sole answer to how fitness should be evaluated that, um, you know, your work capacity across broad time and modal domains is your fitness. I don't believe that to be true. I think that that's kind of bullshit. Um, I understand very deeply the definition and how that definition is applied to look at fitness and to provide a measurable uh, outcome for somebody's fitness. But I also go, really? Really, that's what you're think saying fitness is? Because I don't think anybody's doing that fucking equation. I don't think anybody's ever really done the equation to map out the amount of power output and the actual kilojoules that they are expressing through movement of an air squat over the course of one minute. And they are using that in a, uh, in a way that's meaningful to provide a measure of fitness. Now, okay. I, let's let's say you accept that nobody's ever really done that equation. Cool, but oh, but the theory behind the equation works. Well, now you just destroyed your whole argument because you're saying that this is a measure, this is a number. No, it's not. All you're looking at when you're saying that is the performance of a task and how much or how fast somebody might have done it, and you're giving them a general kind of outcome. So you know, in terms of what I believe about fitness, I think you know, fitness for me not only is it the ability for somebody to take their training, the things that they're going to put their body through in order to go outside the walls of the gym and live their life in a uh, easier, more productive, more fulfilling manner. That, that to me is the ultimate criteria of an effect, effective fitness program. Uh, that in concert with how does it make you feel? How does it make you look? And what are the positive things that are bringing to your life? And then all of those things now combined with uh, mental, social, and emotional health will give you a really well-rounded picture of somebody's overall fitness and health. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And is it super measurable? No, I cannot measure it. I'm not going to um, put a number on that based on the power output per workout that this person is performing. But to me, that doesn't matter. I, it, it just doesn't matter as much anymore. Hey, are you having fun? Are you making progress towards your goals? Is this a, a, a positive influence on your life? Can you go outside of the gym and do and live your life in a way that's meaningful, productive, and fulfilling? If the answer to all those questions is yes, then I really don't give a fuck what your Fran time is. I couldn't care less. I don't care less if you did a two-minute Fran today and then 10 weeks later you did a uh, five-minute Fran. I don't care. If you did, maybe if you did a two-minute Fran today and then you know uh, 10 weeks later you did a 30-minute Fran, I'm going to go like, all right, well, let's talk about what's going on. Was it just like a really bad day? Did you not want to do the workout? Have you let yourself go completely? And if you're a really, uh, if you're invested in your athlete's health and wellness, at some point from that first performance to that second performance in that 10 weeks, you're going to see that, oh, maybe this person's uh, lifestyle or their habits or their routines or their nutrition or their fitness or uh, their injury, whatever they have fallen off to a place where you need to intervene and you need to help this person a little bit more. But to solely look at just like the scores on workouts to determine whether or not somebody is fit, I, I, I just think that that's a gnarly and silly approach to fitness. But that's where I'm at, man. I love that. And I think, 
I, I think everyone who's in the CrossFit space can relate to that, right? I think all of us, especially coaches, when we found CrossFit, it was the end all be all. I was in the same boat as you. I mean, I didn't, yeah. out, I, I probably outwardly said it knowing myself that this is it. Like <laughs> everything in my. You were under, deep. You were in there deep. <laughs> I, I was deep. I mean, everything in my undergraduate work, my graduate work, I was, I was like, yeah, this is all shit. You know, like this is CrossFit is the way. And yeah, you do start to learn more as you expand outside of that CrossFit bubble. And, uh, and my, view has evolved very much like yours has. you know, our mission at ballistic is to cultivate caring, confident, capable people. And mm. the way we do that is by helping them make fitness and nutrition a part of their life, not their whole life. So it really is, as you hinted at and mentioned, it's about life outside the gym. It's about doing the things that, and engaging in the things that you love oh, that bring sure. fulfillment and joy to you beyond the kitchen, beyond the gym. So, uh, I'm right on board with you there. That said, what is something that you, are maybe no longer a fan of that you used to be obsessed with like in fitness and maybe something that you're now doing that you previously thought was shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I was never like a, a super, um, uh, I, I never really like wrote down all of my scores on workouts. Like I, I never was somebody who like, tracked my performance meticulously, but you know, I did really put a lot of stock in the scores of workouts and the, uh, weights on lifts and stuff like that. And like, you know, how was I performing? Uh, you know, was I getting fit or been kind of like what I had, had just been explaining? I, I probably will never write down another score on a workout in my life. I, it, it just isn't where I'm at. And I know that, that sounds extreme. That probably is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it just, it doesn't matter that much to me. Like, I don't care. Like I, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to go and, uh, and do a five by five back squat, I have a general idea about where I'm probably going to be in the five by five back squat. But even if I didn't, I would look at what the intended stimulus is for that lift for that day. And I would either work with the coach or I'd work with the people around me. And I'd say, all right, what are we supposed to be looking at here for this five by five back squat? Okay, cool. Five by five means we're looking at five reps for five sets, all at the same weight or relatively the same weight generally. Right. And Hey, is there any sort of in specific intention for the squat today? Yeah. Hey, the coach said that there's a two second tempo on the way down. All right. So that's going to tell me that there is going to be a little bit more of a intentional squat on the way down a one, two count. So I'm probably not going to be good to go as heavy if there wasn't that one, two count on the way down. Also now we're dealing with five repetitions and I know that five repetitions starts to get into that uh, category of like, moderate, moderate, heavy type of weight. So I'm going to do what feels good for me today with that two second tempo at the intended stimulus of the five by five back. Five. I don't care what I have done in the past. I just don't, man. It doesn't matter to me. And like, I think that, you know, uh, at least for me, what that has led to, it has led to a more fulfilling experience, uh, uh, experience that I've had less injuries. I feel better. I look better. Uh, I'm not as stressed out about performance. Like I used to get so wrapped around the axle, like about benchmark workouts that would come up and be like, all right, well, I, I did a, um, uh, let me get my actual scores on this. I've done like 32 rounds of Cindy or something like that. Like, oh, I got to do Cindy today, man. I, if I don't do 32 rounds of Cindy, it's an object failure for me, abject failure for me. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Like if, 
if I gave my best effort in that workout that day and I only got 26 rounds or 25 rounds or even 20 rounds, I moved for an extreme level of quality throughout the entire workout. I'm no, I, I don't look at that as being less fit than if I had pushed myself beyond uh, a level I was comfortable with or my movement uh, degraded to a point that my mechanics were, were sloppy or my range of motion was iffy or whatever. Like it just, it, I'm just not in that same place anymore. Um, so that's kind of the biggest change for me. Yeah. I think I can completely relate to that. And I think, I think I don't want to say more and more people, but I've talked to more and more people who are having a similar experience, right? Like they're realizing that, okay, maybe I don't need to log every single time, every single load down. Maybe I don't need to do a, an AMRAP or an EMOM or, a, you know, some kind of mech on every single day. And they have a similar experience to what you just described. And I know I have as well. I'm injured less. My body aches less. You know, I feel better. I look mm. better. And yeah, I think that it's just, it's eye opening, right? Because you come from that bubble of this is all there is to, oh shit, maybe there are better, not better, but different ways to pursue this that allow me to feel better. For sure. Yeah. I, I also want to like, I want to um, qu qualify this with the same kind of qualification that I had for the other thing we discussed earlier, where if somebody wants to write down every movement and every score and every workout that they ever do, if that's your goal, I will support you in that goal. That's fine. That's, that's great. That's what's for you. If that, if you're like, Hey, listen, this is important to me because I want to achieve a certain level of uh, back squat. I want to have a certain bench press. I want to have a certain deadlift and I want to have these times on these workouts. And I want to then parlay that into going and doing well in the open and then going to regionals and going to the games or whatever. Even if you don't have the competition uh, attached to it, Hey, there's this event that I need to train for and I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can. Very cool. I understand. Let's work together and let's see where we get there. But if you're, if you're not saying that and you're going, well, fitness is super stressful for me. I am not having fun doing this. Uh, I don't really understand why I'm logging these scores in the first place. Uh, I, I, I don't feel like I'm getting any fitter outside of the gym. I'm not happy with how I look. I'm not happy with how I feel. Then let's reconsider some of what we're doing and what we're focusing on here. Because Honestly, at the end of the day, if you don't walk out of the gym and you're not happy with the way that you feel or the way that you look or the way that your relationships are going or your relationship overall with fitness, then it doesn't fucking matter how much weight you had on the bar for your squat. It just doesn't. Wouldn't you take a 20-pound reduction in your back squat to feel better, to look better, to have a, a more kind of beneficial and positive experience with the workout that day? I think... I mean, I, I'm 100% of the time I would. Maybe there's some people out there who go, no, I need to PR at all costs. Well, and that's a different story. Yeah, Maybe then that's your priority at that point. But like conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of, this is a really deep and uh, interesting topic for me. And this is kind of what we're all about at NC Fit and the message that we're really going out there and trying to, to bring to the, to the public. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> These are great questions, man. I'm enjoying this. No, I, I love it because that's, I, I just feel that that's, like you said, it's a really interesting topic. It's something that Ashley and I are super passionate about and that we always dive into. And I've kind of been through my own journey with it. And obviously you have as well. And I know, at least for me, back when that transition really started to occur, where I was looking at things like, hey, I'm not really having fun 
crushing myself every day anymore. Like I'm not really enjoying, like you said, the benchmark workouts anymore. I don't want to be competitive in CrossFit anymore. I almost felt like guilty. You know, mm, I almost felt like I'm sure. betraying this, <laughs> this group of people who or this, this community of people who I have invested everything into over the last seven years. Like if I don't do Metcons anymore, like I don't fit in with those guys. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I still love the the training methodology, man. We still, we program, we have a bunch of different programs at NC fit, but we have a track that is a functional training track that if you were to look at uh, crossfit.com, you go like, Oh, these two are kind of similar in how they're structured. I still love that program. I think it's amazing. I think uh, it's awesome that people are picking it up and, and really developing this really well-rounded fitness and they have an extreme amount of uh, energy. They have a stream output that they can put into these workouts. I just don't necessarily think that like uh, you have to get so wrapped around the axle with it. It's an effective way to train. It's an awesome, intensity is an awesome tool, but it's all, it's just a tool. You don't want the the tool to become the rule. Yeah, exactly. And I think the great thing about fitness, especially now in 2021, with there being hundreds of probably hundreds of thousands of different programs and offerings oh, yeah. out there, whether it's online or in person, it's okay if you don't agree with everything that I say or everything that you say. You know, if you enjoy if you enjoy those things, that's awesome. But maybe it's not within, you know, the confines of ballistic performance. But there's this guy over here or this gal over here who's doing it. Go with them. For that's sure. cool. You know, like you said, pursue what you enjoy and what makes you happy. But yes. the great thing is you've got options, right? And and yes, that's sir. really it. Well, MDV, I want to be courteous to your time. I know we're a little bit over there already. Uh, but for anyone who's listening that wants to find out more about you, NC mm -hmm. Fit, or anything else that you're into these days with your post-its and all the content <laughs> you're doing on your personal brand, uh, where can they find you? Well, I appreciate that. Derek, it was really great to catch up, man. Um, you know, Like we had mentioned earlier, we met very early on at Reebok CrossFit 1. Uh, you were, like I said earlier as well, man, an extremely, extremely hard worker. You've earned every bit of success that you've had. I'm super proud to uh, have been a part of the journey early on. And I'm, I'm excited to see where you and Ashley take ballistic performance. Um, for anybody who wants to learn more about me, Instagram is probably the best place that you can do it. I'm at MDV underscore FIT. And if you see the dude holding up the post-it, you're probably in the right place. Uh, my company uh, that I run with Jason Khalifa and obviously an uh, amazing team of uh, coaches and professionals, we are at nc.fit, ncfit, and uh, we have an app and we have amazing tools and resources for coaches and gym owners out there as well. So check us out. Fantastic. Well, uh, I got to return the, the token here. <laughs> I truly appreciate what you said about when we first met and being at Reebok CrossFit 1 and I felt the same way when we got first got introduced. I learned a ton from you. I looked up to you quite a bit throughout that experience. Even I forget, I think it was like four or six months, something like that. But I learned a ton from you and all the other staff is there there as well. And you were really one of the first individuals that opened my eyes to, let's say, like the mindset side of of coaching, oh, cool. right? The deeper side of things. I remember you were coaching in class, and I you were cooling down with them, and you took them through some kind of exercise. And mm -hmm. like, and uh, I remember thinking, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> but Probably something it, I learned from Ben. It stuck with me for, yeah, exactly. It made me think yeah. of Ben Bergeron. And I was like, oh, maybe there's another side to this. But yeah. uh, no, that's, uh, it was an amazing experience. I'm super grateful for that every day and still having the Very connection cool. that we have. So uh, thanks cool. again for being on the show, MDV. And uh, hopefully we'll have you again soon. Hell yeah, let's go.
Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Whether this is your first time tuning in or if you're here with us each and every week, we cannot thank you enough. If it were not for you, we could not reach the people we're reaching and change the lives that we're changing through this platform. So please do us a favor. If you enjoy what you hear on this podcast, please head over to Apple, head over to Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review. Make sure it's five stars, right? (laughs) But leave us a review, drop a comment in there as well. That's how we gain more recognition and achieve more reach through this medium. So please, please, please head over to either Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen and leave a review. Other than that, if you're not following us across all our other platforms, get your ass on Instagram, get over to Facebook, get on YouTube, download TikTok because I know all of you don't have it yet. Check us out on all those platforms. Our handle on Instagram is ballistic.performance. On Facebook, you can just find us at Ballistic Performance. And on TikTok, we are Ballistic Performance as well. Lastly, we have some exciting shit in the works right now with Ballistic Performance. So keep an eye out across all of our stories on Instagram because we are going to be announcing this program that we have been putting together now for several weeks and we want you to be a part of it. So keep your eyes and ears open for some exciting announcements coming out of Ballistic Performance HQ. Until next time, guys, I hope you have a fantastic week.